0: Arsonist, the podcast for organizers old and new. I'm Alex.
1: And I'm Anisha.
0: And uh, today we're really lucky to have a a special guest, uh, Elizabeth Alcantar. Uh, Apologies, I think we want to talk, we've kind of made people wait a really long time for this second episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well technically our fourth episode, but yeah, (laughs) our second episode with um, a guest. And it turns out that, uh, organizers are pretty busy, guys. Like, it's so hard to... S- not only for me and uh, Alex and I to get together and sit down and think about the next episode, but to even get guests on, it's been pretty insane. But 2018, new year, new me, new podcast-ish. <laughs> We're gonna make it happen and be a little bit more regular
0: we're really excited to get started. Um, again, definitely had some scheduling issues trying to get a, turns out getting three organizers in a room to talk for an hour is basically impossible. Um, so, but uh, just a reminder about what this podcast is kind of about. Uh, we want to be centered on current events, but we're not going to be focused so much on the news or like the latest political, you know, thing out of Washington. Our goal is to talk about organizing and organizers and to get their stories and Hopefully to learn how to be better at our own jobs as organizers and better, um, I don't know how to basically to get better as students of organizing as like a craft and also you know to highlight some of the amazing work our friends and colleagues are doing around the around the country and really around the world. I mean, so we're always open to suggestions. I think, right, Anisha?
1: Yeah, always open to suggestions. If there's something that you really want to hear us dive deep into, or if you know of a good Um, person, organizer that you want us to interview uh, please just shoot us a message on social media or on our email Um, social media is uh, (laughs) (laughs) our our Facebook social media is just social arsonist um, and our Twitter is our social arsonist pod, I believe, is that right? Yeah, I believe
0: all of our social media handles are at social arson pod. So uh, that should get you to all of our stuff, whether it be Twitter or Facebook. So please add us, reach out to us by messenger if you have a, uh, if you have some, uh, you know, some thoughts on who we can have next, and we'll give you our email at the end of the episode, and all that data will be in the show notes uh, that we post too. So if you're ever lost and need to help finding us, you can look in our uh, show notes.
1: I'll also, I mean, if you're just only going to listen to this part of this episode, which I'd be really sad if you didn't listen to our guest, but if you were like, I just want to email this person, this podcast right away, our email is social podcast at gmail.com.
0: All right, do I have to do the boring legalese part now? Yep, that's uh, all you. Okay, so remember that both Anisha and I and our guests are, Are generally working organizers and therefore have employers because we've got to make you know make rent payments and stuff like that so obviously none of our conversation in the podcast should be construed as the opinions or positions of the orgs that employ us or our guests Uh, basically retweets don't mean endorsements Um, and also uh, it's a good reminder that a lot of our podcast is anecdotal just because you hear a story on the podcast doesn't mean it's about someone's current employer or organization um, unless they specify otherwise, uh, does that cover it?
1: Yeah, I think that's great. Let's get into this.
0: Okay, so today's episode is going to be about proximity. Um, the inspiration for this episode came from a talk I recently went to um, at Into Action, which was a kind of an art space, a social justice art space in LA. Uh, Liz and I actually went before this talk, uh, as, like we just like decided to do it. On a, it was a Saturday, right? It
2: was just a random like. From mid-morning to noon or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I went back with another friend, actually, um, and went to this talk by Brian Stevenson and uh, John Legend, uh, which was amazing, uh, about as amazing as it sounds. But Brian Stevenson is a, uh, is a civil rights attorney who focuses on death row inmates, um, children who've been confined in uh, adult prisons, and on criminal justice reform in general. Um, and he talks about the importance, really the necessity of, uh, of proximity to, to, to problems, and even to suffering and injustice, uh, as being like a prerequisite for any social justice work. Um, and I thought Liz would be a great example of someone to kind of talk to this about and have a conversation about the importance of proximity and what that means for organizers. So I'm going to introduce her. Elizabeth Wait, Alcantara. Oh.
1: Alex, sorry, before you get into that. Did you say John Legend was in the room also? Sorry, I'm just realizing that you just said that. So, obviously, uh, not the biggest celebrity in the room because uh, the it's military. actually funny.
0: Everyone uh, clapped more for Brian Stevenson, which is how I knew I was in a room rightfully full of fellow so. nerds. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> so.
1: But I just like as you. I know we talked about this episode before we got on, but I am just realizing you're saying John Legend was also there.
0: Yeah, he sang. Uh, he sang the refrain from Glory to close the talk, and oh. it was pretty amazing. You can check that out on my. Instagram at the AC more. Um, it's one of the highlight stories. Um, and it was a uh, talk about a way to end a talk with uh, John Legend singing glory and encouraging you to like go out and do good work. <laughs>
1: Look at Alex plugging his Instagram. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, anyways. <laughs> Elizabeth Alcantar is a student and organizer and active in the fields of labor and education. P.S. She's not actually a student anymore. She graduated CSULB. Whoop whoop. Uh, Raised in Cudahy, California. You should always get that right. It's Cudahy, not Cudahy. Uh, She has maintained a. (laughs) She's very particular about that. She has maintained a focus on her hometown and her work, applying much of her work into ensuring the southeast region of Los Angeles County progresses for the people within it. She also utilizes her experiences to return to her middle and high school to motivate and encourage Southeast students to further their education and become a part of the political process. Her interest in politics and policy stemmed from seeing the differences between the working benefits her father, a union member, UFCW, right?
2: Local 770. Hey,
0: okay. (laughs) Uh, And her mother, a low-wage laborer, received. She recognized the importance of a unified force and the significance of organizing. So um, she's done a lot of amazing work in, and is a total local of Southeast Los Angeles. Um, I don't think I've met a single person in Sella Am I saying that right? Or am I?
2: Yes, that's correct. Okay. In CELA.
0: Yeah. Uh, in Sella who uh, who doesn't know Liz. Um, every election year, there's a rumor that she's going to run for city council of Cudahy. A single
2: one.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> so we just wanted to talk to her because the Southeast uh, LA region in particular is one that I think often suffers from people from the outside coming in people without the proximity. Brian talks about uh, trying to impose solutions on the community without, you know, without that sort of proximity. Um, Anisha and I initially talked about it, I think most strongly with the EJ community, but I think it applies kind of all around, but um, I guess I'll read at least one quote. Uh, from Brian, uh, and he, he gives the same kind of proximity plug at almost every talk. But uh, he talks both this is one quote, you cannot be an effective problem solver from a distance. There are details and nuances to problems that you will miss unless you are close enough to observe those details. And then he also goes on to say that proximity to suffering and injustice is required to solve those problems. And at this talk in particular, he had some uh, pretty, I think, some, I don't know, like, pointed words for politicians who lose that proximity to their communities and and maybe lose that connection. So I don't know, Liz, do uh, you want to tell us a little bit what, what proximity has meant in, in Karehe and in Sela generally?
2: Sure. So I think this is, as you mentioned, such a fitting topic for the Southeast and, and a lot of the time for my work as well. Um, in the Southeast, we've had a lot of turmoil, scandal. Um, we've had politicians that have gotten arrested for you know, everything from bribery to um, raising their salary unjustly and, and in an illegal way. Um, and so that a lot of the time gives folks what they perceive as permission to come into our communities since we clearly don't know any better, right? Um, unfortunately, <laughs> that's what they see. So they come in um, and thinking that they can just change our, our communities the way that they see is best for us. Unfortunately, sometimes we see that beat coming from the right. Um, we've seen these white supremacist groups come into Cudahy and Huntington Park and just frankly terrorize our communities. Uh, but then we also see it from the left in a very patronizing way. Um, in that they feel we need certain policies that maybe aren't fitting to our community or that our folks don't need more education on. And so I think that this quote is so fitting because it it does come into, if you don't live our experiences, then who are you to come into our community, knock on our doors, and tell us what we need?
0: Uh, wow, yeah. That
1: is so good and so real like alex was saying oh i just wanted to clarify that i know california feels like its own country but the southeast of california is what you guys are talking about right
0: actually so to clarify for our non-california listeners we're talking about southeast los angeles los angeles county and the los angeles metro area is like this massive you know it's huge um and then southeast la for those who don't know a little bit about la history is pretty uh under-resourced and underrepresented in the political process in LA historically, um, Liz can talk a little bit more about that. Um, but yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, we uh, geographically we're stemming from right under East LA um, all the way down until uh, like Southgate, Some folks consider Linwood part of Southeast LA, uh, but we're for the most part along the Lowerly River. Um, demographically, we're 96 plus percent Latino, 49% immigrant um, and monolingual. And so obviously our demographics are different than a lot of the country, but even a lot of LA. uh, And so I think that that brings us specific needs that again, aren't met through outsiders really.
1: That is so, yeah, that is so powerful. Alex and I were talking, as Alex mentioned, about the EJ issue, and I I work specifically in the environmental world, and we definitely see this, um, I see it more come from, maybe because I deal more with like uh, progressive organizations, but I definitely hear at conferences often that um, a lot of EJ communities, uh, or EJ organizations are really put off by bigger environmental organizations because of the same issue Mm of coming into these um, communities and having this holier than thou attitude like we know what's best for you just listen kind of thing um and how I have a question how how do you suggest larger organizations that don't have a ground presence what are their first steps in um righting this wrong
2: yeah so I definitely
1: see that same issue
2: here even within our like EJ issues. Um, just recently, we were dealing with Exide, which was this huge contaminant, or, or I should say factory, that was contaminating our communities with lead and just all sorts of um, pollutants. And it was a 30-year battle with an EJ commu- like organization that was trying to do this work on their own with just community residents. And of course, the larger national partners were not involved, um, which is very typical. But um, I think that one way to to right that wrong is a just listen Um, and listening comes in various ways. I think one is hiring us. We are more than capable and ready to lead our own communities. And so I think a lot of the time it becomes patronizing when you hire someone from the outside and they're just here to listen and then act on what the community residents told them they should do. Um, obviously that's a misconnection and just hiring us <laughs> is a very simple way to get it done.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah, over mean, here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um I, Wow. Keep going, no, keep yeah. preach.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Um I'm happy that others agree with this. Uh yeah, so definitely hiring us, listening to us. Uh, there are already community leaders on the ground talking about what the issues are. So we don't need you to come in and tell us what you think the issues are. Um, but that's definitely the first step. And from there, hopefully you've hired someone and they can lead the the campaign.
0: All right. I, I, it, it's it's interesting to me because I, I think that hiring piece, Anisha and I have actually talked about this a lot because Anisha Uh, we've talked about hiring people of color and and, and really, like, kind of the diversity, seeing diversity as, like, such a value to an organization. I I think we've had a lot of personal conversations about that. It seems to me that maybe this is, like, this is kind of dovetails right with that. Like, diversity is great, but but also, you know, if you're going to run a campaign in an area or you want to be involved on the ground with a community, diversity needs to also maybe include... The geography right or the origin of folks is that is that kind of not hearing that right
2: yes i think especially when you're talking about proximity and knowing the suffering the issues that we deal with there's no one better than someone that lives there um you you can't experience that just from hearing someone's story and of course it's it's important to listen to these communities but more so to have us be a part of it
1: yeah i think that a lot of these organizations don't Um, hesitate to hire experts, quote-unquote, on issues, and Mm -hmm. I think that um, what better expert, especially with a community, you need somebody that understands the nuances, Um, and, I mean, you are an expert of your community, and so I don't, I don't under, I personally don't understand the hold back in this situation, Um, but I just, I want to, hopefully this episode is Uh, resonates with other organizers and something that they can push from within in the organizations they're at and you know offer this as a solution saying that like you know we should be hiring organizers on the ground or people within the community who understand communities better this specific community better than our entire organization does
0: yeah this so this brings up an interesting topic for me so so i'm curious so I, I you know i obviously come with less of an ej background and more of a labor background um labor and political background and it's interesting because I definitely have seen uh, with labor it's a little bit more complicated i think because uh I, I you know reps might not always you know reps might have this massive geographic area or, or whatever but with politics I, I do see a lot of you know, you're right out. Of, you're fresh out of college. You get hired for your first campaign and then you're basically flown in or like airlift. It, it feels like almost airdropped in uh, to a community and expected to like get to know everybody, like get a volunteer list together and start like knocking doors. Um, and and I, I mean, this is almost we're going to I could take us down a whole side trail on how I think uh, if we a real progressive campaign would would hire people year round and not just like airdrop random strangers in. Yeah. for the eight months before the election day, but... Uh,
2: of course, <laughs> <right? Yeah. laughs>
0: But, uh, you know, we might actually see a lot of communities' uh, electoral character change if, if, if people were doing full-time, you know, 365-day-a-year work um, on the ground in those communities, especially those communities like Central... I'm thinking like Central Valley, right, yeah. or or some parts of the South or um, even the Midwest, right, where, where purple areas, you know, you could say. Um, but I guess... So we we talk about hiring, so in situations where maybe that door has closed, um, is there a right way to approach as an organizer a community that you're not from, but that you're being tasked or or asked to organize within? or maybe you're interested in organizing within, right? Like you know, um, maybe you don't come from, but you you know we we may agree politically, right that that an affordable housing ordinance needs to be passed or mm-hmm. or we need to we need to fight uh, you know, we need to fight for rent control of some sort or, or to repeal Costa Hawkins. But so how do, I, how do you approach with sensitivity, I guess? Or how do you engage with sensitivity?
2: I think that at least community members that I've worked with, even if I am from the community, the, you have to approach with humility. You can't just show up and, and say, hey, red control at this level, and this year and who knows what needs to happen. I don't really care what you have to say because I already have my campaign planned out. And I already delivered this to my boss, uh, you know, which is the typical way we do things. Um, and I think that we have to approach things and saying, hey, I'm not your neighbor, but that's why I need you on my team. Because you know the issues, you know how to get things done. I'm just here to help you facilitate that.
0: Ooh, the volunteer ask. Okay, yeah. that's kind of interesting.
2: Already coming in.
0: Yeah, okay, that's that helps a lot. I think that's that approach with humility and and. and it sounds almost like approach before you've done the planning otherwise otherwise the approaching is just patronizing it's just it's just a what do you call it like looks only right
2: and and i think that that's a big part of it actually planning with the community not for them um a lot of the time especially in politics <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially in politics we have you know general plans master plans for everything and these are very technical uh documents but They're talking about where we're building things, how we're building the city, and something that should be taken into consideration our current residents. We have right now a master plan for the river that thankfully was a really great model, I think. Um, It brought in community organizations, uh, community-elected leaders, and, and just different orgs that represent the river in different ways. Um, And part of the reason that it was successful is that we as CBOs were at the table um, and residents were welcome to come to our events, come to the meetings and voice their concerns. I think that's different than how we typically do things and that we plan for them. And now we already know what we're gonna do, but they're not in agreement. So now your campaign fails.
0: There it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like if we had to, we could probably end there almost, you know.
1: <laughs> I know, like the Lessons Learned episode is like this. This is a lesson learned. Don't do this. over yeah. And over again. Yes.
0: And yet, I, I see so many folks do this. Um, it's so, so coming from the, uh, Anisha talked a little bit about maybe, you know, because we talked, Aisha and I talked a lot about this from an EJ lens and a little bit about it from a labor lens. But I, I, I see this in the labor side too, um, where, you know, if you don't talk to member, rank and file membership and rank and file leaders, you know, and basically already assume that this is what we're going to tackle or this is what we're going to get out of negotiations or this is what we're going to get accomplished, you you basically almost, I, I would like to call it like a deficit um, a deficit of inspiration or a deficit of excitement, right? No one's excited about a plan they had no part in, yes. you know? Um, no one's excited about a contract campaign they had no part in planning. Um, no, one's, um, no one's excited to organize around something that they didn't play a role in. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think that's an issue for sure I, I, that I see in labor. The other thing, you know, and I'll be honest, this is something I always kind of personal, personally struggle with, but I come from a pretty middle-class background, Right. And then, you know, to work with uh, folks who don't come from that background, right, as a representative or as, as, a, as an organizer in a union, it, it, uh, I definitely have to, like, I, I work very hard to, to make sure that I'm doing more, trying to do more listening than, than telling in those mm-hmm. situations and, and to avoid the elitism of thinking, like, I know better, right? Like, my education and my skill set means I automatically know better. Like, I may technically have a better grasp of their contract or, or of the labor lot involved in an issue but that doesn't mean like i know how that applies on the ground to someone's day-to-day existence and their day-to-day life at the job right Their eight hours working
2: yeah Yeah, exactly i think a lot of the time we like i said we we plan for them and so now we're stuck with this policy that sounds great on paper but then once you come down to it like to the nitty-gritty maybe that i don't know i'm trying to think of examples but like maybe that bike path you built Um, isn't a great one because there wasn't lighting, and so now no one uses it anyway. You could have figured that out when you talked to the residents, but you didn't. Um, I think for for labor, it happens a lot. I I know that my dad used to call it, like, the union. Oh, the union doesn't do this. The union doesn't do that. And it's a great one, by the way. But (sighs) (laughs) he he, he never felt that connection, as you mentioned. And, like, he wasn't a part of it until he really started, like making that effort to call in and 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 them having also taking the effort to reach out to him now he says like "Oh, our union instead of the union figured this out Um, and so it's even language and how people frame things Um, we often just kind of forget about that part and and including folks in that in those conversations too
0: Anisha, I'm trying to think. We've talked about on this podcast a lot that one of our goals is also to reach to people of all organizing experiences, right? So so even the brand new folks kind of inspired by current events, right? Um, you know, not to not to recap our first episode, but basically, um, Anisha and I met a week after Donald Trump had been elected. Um, and, Anisha, you, I'm sure you could test, right? Like, that came with some strong feelings.
1: Oh, yeah. Like... It was definitely... I mean, if you want to hear the whole story, then go back to our first podcast, first episode. Um, But, yeah, it was a very... (coughs) Sorry, powerful time. But also, um, I was so new to organizing then. And being in a room surrounded by people who organize on different levels and different capacities, um, it was really inspiring. And... Just, like, right now hearing you, Liz, talk about things from a very local perspective on how it really affects the bigger picture is so important. Um, And I think those of our uh, audience guests who are listening, who are new organizers and you're new to the field, being really aware that um, it's often, especially people like me who live in D.C. and work on national campaigns it's so easy to get into this mindset of like oh this is going to be great for this community or this state or this bill is going to be great but it is Mm -hmm. so important to have local voices um and Liz you're like basically solidifying this thought and you know those of you who are going out and going back to work this week you know, maybe bringing that perspective and really thinking about the work we're doing. Is it the most effective and the best
0: for the community? I was almost thinking, so what do we, so the brand new organizer, right? The person who just, who just got involved because of in the last year, right? Or year, year plus, because of all this kind of intense, you because know, of the intense political moment we currently live in, right? Um, what are some pitfalls maybe we could tell them to avoid um, as, you know, because We've actually talked about this a little bit that that people have come out of the woodwork and we're excited about it, but there's also we've seen some pretty bad stumbles that have been insensitive or have been even worse, like downright, like like problematic, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, um, and and we get that the energy's in the right place, right? Like they want to accomplish, they want a more progressive future, a more just country or whatever, or a more just community, but they come at it like in their excitement, they don't they don't do the, the they haven't done the the like legwork they haven't maybe done it professionally for a long time or been mentored for a long time or or apprenticed or done anything that kind of like lays that groundwork. So I guess how do we help new organizers avoid some of these faux pas? I, I know we talked about obviously talking to the community first, yes. but but um, you know I'm trying to think: is there anything else we can uh, we can give some, some of the like specifically focusing on the brand new folks or the folks who are just getting involved because uh, of this political moment? Are are there some like key things you should avoid doing? Uh, Even small.
2: I'm trying to think. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves with organizations that are trying to do work in the Southeast is that everything is just in English. So uh, this is something that's really small, right? But the nitty gritty. (laughs) Yeah. If you're coming into a community that is 49% monolingual Spanish, so you even have it easy because... You don't have all these sorts of different languages, just Spanish. Um, You should probably have Spanish language things. Um, And sometimes they come in with like beautiful brochures and flyers and campaign plans and education booklets and stuff, but it's all in English. And so when I can read it, but when I take it back to my mom, she's just gonna chuck it, you know? She doesn't care about something she can't read. Uh, That's a big one for me, Um, and just, I guess, know your history. Um, I came into organizing purely by accident, had no idea what organizing was, uh, but I just started showing up to council meetings because I wanted to help students at my high school uh, learn to apply to college, learn how to pay for it, retain, you know, and, and all that stuff. So I just would show up to council meetings and just sit there for hours and listen to people's grievances. And eventually they introduced themselves and I just sat there and learned everything that they had to say. And thankfully it worked out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That, that, oh my gosh, that's that um, language justice piece. I think is really on point. Um, I think honestly, we can be very guilty of it sometimes on the left, even, right? Like, yeah, like folks like, you know, I, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about, a you know, like, like orgs that even, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of one of my biggest critiques of some of our local democratic orgs in LA have been that yes. they're inaccessible to people outside of politics and inaccessible to non, like non-traditional, like white collar professional folks. Yes. Um, and I didn't even think about that, but I don't think I've ever been to a local like Democratic club that has like published an agenda in Spanish, even yeah. though we live in Southern California, <laughs> which is a
2: huge problem. Yeah, I yeah. I sat in probably two years ago um, on a local Democratic meeting. It was supposed to be this training for organizers, and one of the panels was specifically around speaking the language that you're, you know, you need to speak to talk to folks and get them to vote. Um, and a panelist said that part of it is paying for a translator, is making sure your photos fit the population, um, and, and doing those little things. And someone, an older white male, raised their hand and said that he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get why no. <laughs> we have to do this, because we're all American. And... Mind you, this isn't a democratic space. Yes. Um, so not only did they not provide everything in Spanish, but then someone said, we don't need to because we're all American, um, which is a huge issue around identity. But um, to have these, this mentality in a room where we're supposed to be all on the left, all supportive of our communities is obviously very jarring. Um, but then thankfully other people did stand up and said like no, uh, my community speaks these other languages. Uh, my community has a little Armenia. Why would I not print things out in a language that they understand? Um, yeah. and like, why would and we forget fracture it so much?
1: Our, yeah. Why would, why would, you, would you fracture? fracture Go ahead. Yeah. Our, the movement in this idea that everybody should be just like us. This is why we lose communities that mm-hmm. are traditionally allies.
0: You know. Oh, yeah, no, I can't imagine, you know, it was a, I can't imagine, like, you, it's, I, I, like I, you can see the difference in, like, our locals, kind of, or, like, our chapters, like, you know, I'll go to do some internal organizing work in, like, Oxnard, and, like, all our food service folks speak Spanish, and I'm even more comfortable, perhaps, in Spanish, and it's like, you know, if we don't bring Spanish Lit, we've, we've just cut off a part of a potential group of supporters, yeah. right, or a potential group of people who might help, you know, who might show up to a board meeting to help us out. And, and push back against an unfair policy change, or or you know make more you know make a, a reasonable uh, wage demand or something, right? Like there's all that sort of stuff. That that seems like when you when you disengage like that, it definitely seems like you all you do is shoot yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, wow. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I I, I really do, you know, I, I really do think that's a good one for new organizers that that, that you should try and provide you know, provide translation. And, and, you know, to be fair, I, I understand the resource limitations, but then if you're working in a community like that, hopefully someone in your group also speaks Spanish already, right? If
1: not, then that's
0: yeah. probably an issue too. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: well, I think also on that, Alex, uh, a tip for new organizers is, um, or people that are, don't even work for organizations, but you're doing local, just what you imagine organizing to be, just like... I think one of the biggest things is asking questions and and actually listening to the answers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think too often people ask the questions and then still go with the original agenda or are offended when the answer they hear is maybe uh, a little bit of a critique on them or what they think is best. Ooh. I think people often, um, especially new people in this space, actually all people in this space, um, we think that um, we want an answer before we ask the question. And I think it's really important, especially working with communities that we don't know everything in that community, that yes. there needs to be a real listening. And and being able to, um, you know, be open to the answers that you get, even if they aren't what you want to hear, even if they are, I mean, there have been multiple meetings I've walked into when I first started that they're like, oh, you're with this organization. Is it, it's an environmental organization? Oh yeah. Uh, like, we know how you work with this community. Mm-hmm. And, and my initial reaction is like, oh, no, but I'm new. And like, oh, no, we're working great. But instead, I should be like, you're right. I acknowledge that we've had maybe not been best in this space. Um, here's like, what can we do? What can I do to help ease this relationship? How can I help? You know, that's a huge thing. Yes.
0: I think that ties back a lot to the humility piece. And I, and I guess I want to tie this in locally to California, too. There's been this big kind of fight around universal health care here in California, a policy I personally support, but I definitely think um, we're going to need to do some education for folks on this. You can't, you know, you can't just, it, it, some folks aren't there yet, right? We got, we got to get them to, to be there. And I think Liz's community in particular has been, a, there, are, there have definitely been some folks who have come in from outside with, with, with not only the goal, like maybe their initially stated goal is to educate, but they are doing exactly what Anisha's is talking about, where they're not then listening to the answer and like adapting. They're just saying this is the right answer, period, and you should take it now. You know what I mean? I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of your personal frustrations, and <laughs> we can. We, I can move on if you want to. If you want to avoid I, it,
2: I'm totally fine. Okay. Um, I was trying to figure out if I should keep it a little bit more vague or not but let's just go for it. <laughs> um, so I'm actually completely in support of universal health care, um, but there was this bill that was that was uh, passed in California, sorry, in the Senate, not in the Assembly, and so it didn't pass for the entire state. One Assembly member, who's actually mine, held it up because he had concerns over the bill. Since then, it's become this huge issue for this group of folks that want to get it passed no matter what and so now they're threatening a recall against our assembly member um, who is someone that's brought so many resources to the region as alex mentioned we you oftentimes get overlooked we don't have money we don't have someone really looking over what our needs are and this assembly member has actually really done a great job of doing that he's actually the one that also put in the bill to support this Lower LA River Plan that I talked about earlier. And so now we have this group of folks that are mostly from the outside coming into our communities and telling us that we should recall this person that has done a lot of great work for our communities because of one issue. That's a whole other topic. (laughs) But... um, I think it brings a big point to tell us like, who are you to tell us that all these things he's done are not enough because you're not happy from the west side.
0: Yeah, that's the key piece I think (laughs) I found most interesting about Liz's analysis on this uh, because we've obviously talked about it outside of the podcast, but her frustration was that it's not even like the opposition has sprung up organically in this person's own district. It's like people are kind of like almost like, you know, driving in doing the work there and then driving back home to their place on the west side you know or or in their downtown loft and it's like that's not again like you're 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 missing the you're missing the opportunity the real opportunity is probably to educate i think it's totally legitimate organizing technique to educate his district residents and then and then have local district residents be like no we think universal health care would be best for us and we're going to push you as our elected representative to do it you know what i mean or or, but it, it definitely feels like you're miss you're turning some people off your message by just coming in and telling residents you need to get rid of this person instead of yeah like you're missing the education piece that you could have had you're missing the collaborative community piece you could have had and and that's that's kind of a shame to me especially when it's something like I so I so vigorously support Uh, you know I think I think we should have a national healthcare system and I think healthcare should be free and a human right in the United States yeah Liz does too all of it Uh, but like it stinks sometimes when you're watching because, and this is where it happens on the left. And Anisha, we've talked about this, right?
1: Oh yeah. yeah. The, we've definitely talked about
0: this. We almost call it like the, uh, brocialism or whatever, you know, yeah, like,
1: brocialist yes. coming in, telling <laughs> us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where
0: you're like, you're like, dude, I totally agree with you, but there's a better way to do this. You know, like a better way to get people on board with you yeah. and just like burn it all down. Like, you know, like I, you know, if the community's not on board right now, then they're wrong. Like, if it's going to take them a little while to get on board or to get educated, then that's a problem. And you're like, no, like, oh, it just feels like yeah. I, get wor- I get worried almost sometimes that movements like that or campaigns like that will, end, in the end, maybe do more damage than good. And, I, I mean, you know, I'm trying to withhold judgment because I don't know how this is going to play out because the current fight in California and, you know, it's a two-year bill. So at very low, it, may, it may very well pass next yeah,
1: year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean but, but it also gives opportunity to other political parties to point at these issues and be like oh look like this is what they really think of you do you really want to support Ooh. you know this is a I mean if I was on the other side this is definitely an opportunity that I would use that like is your voice actually being heard we actually care about what you have to say even if your their interest isn't actually in our best interest this gives you opportunity to mm-hmm. pit people against each other and I think that especially the brochure list world needs to be very careful on how they um, come in and think that they are doing when they, when you think you're doing the right thing, the way you do it is doing it in a sensitive way is so
0: important. Especially if you're not from that place.
1: Oh yes. yes. Like Especially. talk
2: to us.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we should uh, start wrapping it up now. Um, thank you so much, Liz, for coming and, and uh, talking to us and, Talking to us about proximity, uh, I think this is a great reminder to organizers old and new that if you're going to be working in a neighborhood or community or city you're not from, um, you need to do so with humility and with um, and with a sensitive and cautious approach. Um,
1: and hire, get your organization to hire people within that community. Yes. <laughs> to lead that work.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and whether you're in labor, community organizing, or political organizing. Um, That is something that will benefit you across the board. Uh, In labor, we often talk about that the best messenger for the union is the rank and file union member who believes in it, and I think that's super important. Um, And I think the same applies, right, for the best messenger for changing an intersection in a community is someone who lives near that intersection, right? Or, you know, and political organizing, same thing.
2: All of it. it. It all comes down to who's actually seen it and felt it, experienced it. And hopefully we get a lot more of that People started getting hired locally <laughs> in the future with this more progressive view of how things should work.
1: Yeah, totally. And um I would like to make another plug just because it's been so inspirational hearing you Liz talk about um your community. I would love to hear other people's stories. Maybe if you want to share it on social media or email us about a project or a campaign or something you've worked on, um in, and it being successful because you've been really um, careful and considerate in working with communities. Um, I would love to hear how other people have done this too, uh, because it's too often that we hear about all of the bad things organizations have done. And I would love to hear like, oh, actually, we did it really well. It worked out great here. This is something we worked on. Um, I think that'd be really cool to read about.
0: Yeah, please, someone tweet us, tweet us examples of it done right. Uh, And I, I think that's the way I learned best, right, is seeing seeing organizing done well um and organizing you know with the proximity to the problem and proximity to the community that's experiencing the problem or the injustice uh so if yeah definitely um i think we're gonna call it then uh thank you for joining us everybody
1: thank you liz so much too you're a rock star and we appreciate you
0: uh, just the quick uh, uh, Anisha and I plan on trying to get uh, about an episode a month out there. so please keep your eye out on our social media and on our uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and on uh, that Google it's the Google store, right I, I don't have a. I don't have an Android phone. Does anyone here have an Android phone? No
1: <laughs> It's the Google plays door, I think. (laughs) Clearly, we're all iPhone people. here.
0: Okay, so we probably need some proximity to an Android user in order to best make sure our podcast works on an Android phone.
1: And we may... It works on the Android phones because my friends who have Androids have told me that it works. Um, But also, uh, we may surprise you. We might put out an episode sooner than a month to just check in and if if you haven't heard from us in a while and you're like you know what I miss you guys tweet at us or Facebook us and tell us that
0: definitely and please also uh, we need episode suggestions so hit us up on email or social media if you know someone who we should talk to Um, we're always looking for organizers whose stories we can tell and whose experiences we can learn from
1: awesome well thank you Liz and thank you everybody till next time till next time